You know, the book of Galatians is, is, has been spending a lot of emphasis on, on uh, how we don't live. And by how we don't live, the book of Galatians has not been telling us all of the things that we should not do. The book of Galatians has been telling us that we do not live on the basis of keeping in our own effort and energy a whole bunch of rules. The Christian life is not the sum and substance of what it is I do and don't do. That is not the Christian life. That might be a good moral life, but that is not the Christian life. That is not the life of Christ in us. Galatians 2.20 put it this way. I'm crucified with Christ. I shared in his death. Nevertheless, I live. I'm not dead. I still have life. I still exist. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And this life which I now live in the flesh, in this fallen humanity, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there's a way now that I live differently. I live new. I don't live in the same way. But it's by living by faith in Christ, his life in me. We're finally getting to the point in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, that we're going to be talking about the energy of that new life. How is that new life possible? How is it that believing the gospel does open up the way for and actually draw me into, press me toward living in a new and different way? A way that looks maybe as if I were keeping those same rules that I had as a child. But now I'm not living by those rules anymore, and yet by the Spirit of the living God in me, I should be living in new ways that look and reflect the character of my Creator and my Redeemer. Galatians chapter 5 opens up the, the topic of how is it that I live by the Spirit? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, the passage this morning, in fact, I was planning on taking all of Galatians chapter 5 in one message. That was our schedule. We were going to be finishing the book of Galatians next Sunday, and yet we're going to be slowing down a little bit. This is, this is the chapter about living by the Spirit. And even Monday morning as we sat down together in a circle with a handful of men in Galatians chapter 5, the Spirit was saying, slow down. This is important. This is the essence of the Christian life, that we live not in our own strength, not in our own ability, not by our own morality. We live by the Spirit of the living God. And this is not common. Let me quote A.W. Tozer. Tozer said this many years ago, but it is still, unfortunately, so very true, maybe even more so. Tozer says, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. I was reading a book by Francis Chan, Forgotten God. By forgotten God, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. We know God the Father. We know that Jesus Christ, he, God sent his Son. His Son died for us to redeem us, to give us eternal life. I have a home in heaven because Christ died for me. And yet, Jesus then died, he rose, he ascended into heaven and sent the Spirit. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. Just like the Son was sent to give us eternal life, the Spirit is sent to give us eternal life. It's the Spirit of the living God 
who uses the word of God placed by a Gideon to draw somebody without anybody else's human involvement there in a room by themselves. I have a friend who, at a time of crisis, in the six days it took him to travel from Spokane, Washington to Biloxi, Mississippi, in those six days on a motorcycle, he stopped in hotels at night, and there he read a Gideon Bible. And along the way, from what he read in that Gideon Bible, he came to faith in Christ. There was nobody there but printed word on a page and the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit is essential to new life. It is, being, is called being born of the Spirit. The Spirit is, is, is just as essential, Paul says in Galatians 3. Having begun by the Spirit, do you continue in your own natural strength, ability, flesh, effort? And the implied answer is no, of course not. We continue in the same way that we've begun, and that is the thrust of Galatians chapter 5. Tozer says, the whole level of our spirituality among us is low. We have forgotten God in terms of living by the Spirit. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentives to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and we have produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. So Tozer words not, Tozer's words, not mine, but I think he's right. I think we have substituted. I think there's much that we can do in terms of church that would continue to succeed in terms of church as a social gathering with the complete absence of the Spirit. But we don't live by our techniques. We don't live by our marketing. We don't live by our methods. We live by the Spirit. And the body of Christ will only be what it ought to be as a body when the Spirit is expressing His life in this body and the members individually are walking by and living by the Spirit rather than some Christian morality, however we define it. Galatians chapter 5 sets up a balance between two tensions. Romans chapter, five, chapter 6 identifies the same thing in the sense of, okay, we don't live by law. If I don't live by law, does that mean then that I can do whatever I want? We have the sense that there's legalism on one side and there is license uh, or lawlessness on the other side. Now the problem with this, with, with, with this with this continuum, where I have legalism or living by rules, on the other extreme I have a lawlessness, I do whatever I choose, and we see how that looks like in the world around us, and so we think the liberty is somewhere in the middle, but the problem with this continuum is wherever I am at on that scale, if I tend to skew more towards legalism, then when I turn around, everything I see that direction of me I tend to define as lawlessness doing whatever you choose. Or, if I, if I skew towards the do whatever I choose side, then I tend to define everything to that side of me. Well, that's lawlessness. Those are people who just do, those are people who are, who are, those are people who are legalistic. Those are people who are living by rules. Look at all the rules they have for themselves that I am free from. So wherever I am on that scale, from legalistic to lawless, I become my own best measure. 
I think this idea of a continuum and somehow trying to find a balance between legalism and lawlessness, a, a, a free from rules, and yet aren't there things that are supposed to do? Aren't some rules good? I think the tension that is set up from that, that we have a very difficult time trying to find a balance in, trying to find the right middle, is because we're starting with the wrong model. We can't find the middle because we're starting from the wrong, the wrong model. I think the model would rather look something like this. Take that line and bring it upward. And in honor of John Palm's outdoor night on, on Friday night, Saturday night, this is, this is what I think the life of Christ is supposed to look like. Imagine, if you will, hiking along a ridge line. And there is a steep downhill this way. There is a steep downhill that way. But there on that ridge line, going along the ridge line, you have good trail before you. I actually thought about putting, putting some boards on the front steps here and, and we'd have a nice angle and I was going to have the kids walk across that. And as they're walking across on that slope, they would find how hard it was because most of the kids, their legs are the same length. And we're not meant to walk along a ridge line like this. We're not meant to walk along on that slope. I love this picture. Look at that path. Isn't that a nice path? John Palm, don't you wish that every hike you went on had a path just like that? Boy, that's a nice path. A few of them look something like that. But that's a great illustration. There is a downhill on one side which will lead you to trouble. There is a steep slope down the other side that will lead you into trouble. We are not meant to walk on the slope of legalism or lawlessness. We are meant to be living above that on a higher plane on a higher plane of liberty in Christ. That higher ground of life in Christ, that higher plane, which is above law, it's not on a scale between the two. It's a higher plane from either legalism or lawlessness. That is the first half of Galatians chapter 5, all right? So now, let's, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, you'll find us on page 825, uh, if, you, if you brought your own Bible, which I hope that you did, because that way you can follow along in the Bible you're used to and comfortable with, and you could even take a note if something were, were worth remembering. Maybe there's, there's a verse in here you're going to want to put a star by or circle along the way. But Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of bondage. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You, are try- you who are trying to be justified by law, you have, alien- you have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith... We eagerly wait. Here's the contrast. By faith, we eagerly wait for, through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running well. You were running well. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? 
That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever they may be. But brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. The offense of the cross that there's nothing I can do, nothing in my hand I bring simply to his cross I cling. That's the offense of the cross. I can't contribute anything. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to his cross I cling. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Verse 12, as for those agitators, those who are stirring you up, trying to draw you back into law-keeping, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves or mutilate themselves. You brothers were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting, devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There, there, are, there seem to be three commands, three imperatives in this passage. Those three would be, do, stand firm in your liberty, don't be subject to a yoke of bondage. Stand firm, stand fast, hold the ground. Don't be sucked in. Don't be drawn away. Don't be drawn downhill. On the other side, but don't let your liberty be turned into an opportunity for the flesh. Don't let your liberty, your freedom in Christ from law which you could not keep, don't let your freedom in Christ from the whole manner of law turn into an opportunity for your your sinfulness to do whatever it wants to do to go its own way, to say it doesn't matter what I do because God's going to forgive it all anyway. What then? Should I continue in sin so that grace abounds? No, no. We have new life in Christ. I have been raised in Christ to walk in his new life. He says live in the new identity that you are on higher ground. But first of all, first of all, that, that first imperative, don't we don't focus, don't fall into, I'm using my, my higher ground illustration here, don't fall into focusing on your own performance. Don't be subject again to a yoke of bondage which you will not be able to bear. A yoke that binds me to works, gets the, my eyes off the prize, gets my eyes off Christ, and puts my focus on what will I do. My focus is on me. I'm watching me. I'm evaluating me. I'm measuring me against you. And I will end up looking down on some of you to feel better about myself. We will be biting and devouring one another. You see where that end line comes back in. The focus is on me, on my goodness, not enough on Christ's goodness. Separates Christ in the relationship. You remember when Jesus tells his disciples, his disciples came back rejoicing in the good things that they had been able to do, the great miracles that that were done through them by the Spirit? And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Don't rejoice in the great works that you do. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see how he redirects them. He redirects them from something good that they were doing, and he redirects their focus back to 
what it is that God has done for them. That's where our focus needs to be. Our focus is never on what it is that I will do that's good. Our focus is always on what it is that he has done for me and letting that then be expressed out in life. If I submit to a yoke of bondage, it sets me up for failure. I'm obligated to keep a whole. If I'm going to live by a standard of rule, I will not be able to do it. I will not be able to keep law. And if I want to be sincere about it, I'm going to have to keep God's law, not one of my own making. And if I'm going to be sincere about keeping God's law, there's no way that I can. In fact, that's the whole experiment. What the law says, Romans 3 tells us, it says to all of those who are under law, so that every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth may be shut up. You've got nothing to say. You can't fulfill Quit trying to make your bargain with God, but God, I've lived a pretty... Shut up, it says. What the law says, it says to those who are under law, Israel, as a test case. Let me explain that passage for a moment. Romans 3.20. What the law says, it says to those who are under law, so that everybody would learn the lesson from Israel's experience, that, that by the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. All the world ends up without an answer. I cannot do. Let's say you wanted to grow bananas in Canada. You had a great piece of property. It was good fertile soil. You said this would be a great place to grow bananas in Canada. It it was one of the warmer places in Canada, in fact. And there was great soil there. You thought if I could grow bananas anywhere in Canada, I could grow them here. And you tried. And you worked at it. And you laid out your lines and you planted your banana trees and away you went and you waited for the harvest and the harvest did not come. Why did my banana trees freeze? Why did they turn black and wilt down to the ground? Because let every Canadian hear the news, you cannot grow bananas in Canada. Now everybody in Canada didn't have to try it. In fact, they tried it in Vancouver, B.C. They don't have to even try it in Alberta, do they? No way. If you can't do it in Vancouver, B.C., you cannot grow, grow bananas in Calgary. There is no chance. You don't even have to try in Calgary. You can't grow bananas in Canada. So... One test case demonstrates the truth to the whole. The the Israel under law demonstrates to all of humanity we cannot live and be righteous before God by law. That's what he affirms then in Galatians chapter 5. Don't take a yoke that itself is going to obligate you into failure. It sets me up for failure. Interestingly, he says, you were running well. You were running well. Imagine. They weren't being told by anybody what it is they should do. And Paul's evaluation of this church was somehow, without anybody telling them what they were supposed to do, they were doing it. They were living out a righteousness that agreed with law. They were running well. That running well is Paul's metaphor for the Christian life. He says later on towards the end of his life, I have run my race. I have finished my course. There is set up, there is laid up for me a crown. He says, you Galatians, you were running well. Who cut in on you? Somebody cut in on you. 
and caused you to stumble. You've seen those races now and again where somebody is, is taking off. They're running well, and somebody too quickly out of the turn, before they have enough space, they cut in from an outside lane into the inside lane because the inside lanes are shorter. And they cut in on the runner behind them and cause the runner behind them to what? Stumble and fall. That is his analogy for what is happening when somebody cuts in, bringing these list of expectations that you should keep if you're going to be a good Christian. That's his analogy of it. Setting me up for failure, causing me to stumble. Getting my eyes off of Christ and onto the things that I'm supposed to be doing, it becomes... What I described last week in the notes, and I got this from Tom Crowley a couple weeks ago, he described a double-edged sword. And one of the sides of that is when I have a description of these are the things that I will do, and by that I will be a good Christian. And I might have an easy enough list that I pretty much can, can make it. I can tick off my list. I can look at the things that I'm doing and feel good about the things that I'm doing. It reminds me of a Levite and a priest who were walking along the road one day and there was somebody lying alongside of the road, but the somebody who was lying alongside of the road was not on their list. In fact, he was expressly not on the list because he was a Samaritan. And Samaritans are not our neighbors. Samaritans are those other people. Samaritans are not the do-good to the household of faith. And so they just walked right on by because I love the veggie tales. Any of you kids seen the veggie tales? I'm busy, busy, very, very busy. I have got so much to do, I haven't got time for you. But the Samaritan man walked along. The Samaritan man walks along and he finds the person. Actually, I had it wrong. The person lying on the road wasn't the Samaritan. The Samaritan was the guy. That's why he's called the good Samaritan. Sorry. So the Samaritan walks along and he sees the guy. The guy is not on his list either. But he is provoked and simply does what is right. And he's pressed into mercy. And that example of the good Samaritan is the kind of thing that God does for us and we are told to go and do likewise. We are told to love. That's the higher ground. He's going to further express that as we go further along in the, in the book of Galatians in chapter 5. Yet we, we hunger for a righteousness, you see. We know intuitively, if I've been born by the Spirit, the Spirit within me, the Spirit within me yearns jealously for me. The Spirit does not want me to live however. And the Spirit is not satisfied that I live by the list. The Spirit wants to say, hey, how about? Hey, what about? And that's what Tom's point was, that if I do my list when I feel like I filled out the list, I am satisfied, and I don't even hear the pressing of the Spirit, the, the, the suggestion of the Spirit, the provoking of the Spirit that says, hey, you should, because I've already made my plan. Let me give you an example of this. You already, some of, some of us are still using checks. We're the old people. We freely admit that. Some of us are still using checks, and we wrote our check out before we came to church this morning. We had planned ahead, just like 1 Corinthians tells us. We had planned ahead of time of what we would give. That's exactly what we should be doing. Great. And yet the Spirit this morning says, Gideon's, 
The Spirit this morning said, there are Bibles to go out. There are people that need a testament. There are people that need to hear God's word, and you're the one to send the Bible. But I'm not thinking that way. Yeah, there's probably some folks here that need to give, but I already wrote my check. I already have filled my square. And if I rely on what it is that I have done, I will not be open to what this, how the Spirit might press me further. He might press me by faith to dig in a little further. Past that check, let's not disturb that one, folks. We've already got a plan for that one. But, but past that check, I'm going to dig a little further down in there, and there is something else that I was keeping for me that I don't know quite how it's going to work if I give that. But God knows just how it's going to work. And that's the provoking and pressing of the Spirit beyond what I might think or imagine. Doesn't Galatians 3, or rather Ephesians chapter 3 promise us that the working of God within you looks like this, that God is able to do more than we ask or even think, imagine, according to the Spirit, His power which works in us. Not according to our power, not according to our rightness, not according to anything about us, it's about his power by his spirit working in us. So we hunger for a righteousness that comes by the spirit through faith, verse 5. But he says in verse 13, the other side of that, that I'm not, I am not saying. He says, don't hear me wrong here because Paul was accused of this. Don't hear me wrong. That doesn't mean because you don't live by law that you just do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Everything you do matters. You are pressing toward eternity. You are on the journey to forever. This is the life by which we have the opportunity to live by faith. Once you pass out of this life into the very presence of God, you will no longer have the opportunity to live by faith. Think about it. You will be living by sight. You will be living in the presence of God, the fullness of joy. That will be good. But you will no longer have the privilege of trusting God and following him by faith rather than sight. Oh, what we do today matters greatly. In fact, we are stretching eternal muscles today in the here and now by the choices that I make to hear and follow the Spirit or to ignore his voice. I can grieve the Spirit. I can quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances. When the Spirit provokes you and leads you and says, do this, that's where we go. Whether it was on my list or not, that's what it is to live by the Spirit. I don't grieve the Spirit. Okay, you look at the, why, why then would I use the law? What is the law good for? We're in the midst of a series called Route 66 that started with Genesis and is going all the way through the Old Testament before it goes to the New. Well, we're on a side excursion right now in Galatians, but we're going back to Route 66 in a few more weeks. We're going to continue in the Old Testament. What value is the Old Testament if I don't live by law? Oh, even the law tells me of the character of God. I cannot fulfill that righteousness myself, but it describes what my God is like. And there I see something of my Savior. And as I have my eyes on my Savior, I am drawn toward him. And I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. How do I know that the Spirit is provoking me this way? How do I know that the sense in my mind or in my spirit is actually God speaking and not just myself or last night's pizza? How do I know that this is God? 
Well, the Spirit took care even to write it down. And what he tells you today has jolly well better agree with what he has told all of us here. It doesn't mean that the only thing the Spirit will say is what's written here, but we know that the Spirit inspired this. These words are God-breathed. So he hasn't changed. What he says to you will agree with this. So when he tells you something, that's when you get out your Bible program and you search through and you figure out if that's so or not? No, no. Immerse yourself here. Get used to the Spirit's voice. And guess what? You will find him speaking to you all through the day. So yeah, I will, I will, I will sink into this word. I will give myself to this word because I want to learn to hear from the Spirit because I want to live by faith. Don't slip into doing whatever you want to. No, liberty is not licensed to indulge our sinful, selfish nature. That puts the focus back on me instead of on God. Paul doesn't spend a lot of time in that in verse 13. Isn't that funny? He spends 12 verses again saying, don't live by law. He spends half a verse saying, but don't live in lawlessness either. Don't do whatever you please. Look at verse 13 again. Just the front half of it. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Okay? Rather, serve one another in love. That agrees with what Jesus told his disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. That's going to be filled out next week as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And I would suggest to you that the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, as it is unpacked, is an, is an expansion of what it means to love. So it begins with love. The gospel truly sets me free to truly love God without any agenda of what I receive in return because I have received everything already in Christ. That's what it is to live by faith in the gospel. When I believe God's good news concerning his son for me, I have no need. I have no need for eternity. And if I have no need for eternity, I have no real and controlling need even today. I am free to give myself away. Why do I hold back? Why do I keep reserve? To some extent, you say, well, to some extent, there's the wisdom of Proverbs there. Yes. But how much of my reserve is because I have more confidence in my reserve than I do for God's care of me? Let's allow the Spirit to make us uncomfortable there. Let's allow the Spirit to say, I want you to lean into trusting me so that you're not leaning on anything else. And that could be a very exciting place for us to live in his presence. I don't need anything else from others because God has promised me. When my promise, when, when my confidence is in his promise, when I, my faith is in his gospel, I don't need something else from others so I'm free to love them as Christ loved me freely, without any cause, without any expectation of return. I don't love in a manipulative way so that I will get something back because God has given me and God has my back. When I truly believe that God has my back, I can give myself away. I can live what's considered to be a radical, 
Christian life because my confidence is in God rather than in whatever else I might lean on. You know, you cannot live. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Be very careful here. It will love to take advantage. Instead, love one another. Serve one another in love. Intentionally use your intention to step into loving one another, which looks like Christ, which looks like God. You cannot live the Christian life alone. This is why. You cannot live the Christian life alone. The Christian life has to be lived in community. The Christian life has to be lived in relationship with others because you cannot love alone unless you're going to be loving yourself. And that is not what we're called to. We're called to give away ourselves. We're told to love others. We're called to love others. We're told to, to love is, in, is essentially intrinsically other-oriented. It must have an object outside of itself if it's going to be love at all. To love oneself is decisively incorrect. That's, a lo- that's the wrong object of love. God did not so love himself. God so loved the world. Love is inherently stronger than any command. Love, if I'm going to live out of love, that higher ground of being free to live in Christ's love, if I am going to live out of love, that is inherently stronger than any commandment. An imperative, a command, opposes some inclination. I'm told to not steal because something in me wants to take what you've got. Do you know that? What are you worried about right now? What is it that Bob wants that I've got? We are told not to steal. Why? Because we are people that have to be told not to take what's not ours. Because God doesn't take, God gives. God gives what we have no claim to freely. It's the very opposite of stealing. That's what God is like. And yet I have to be told not to steal. A commandment, do not commit adultery, because there's something in me that is inherently unfaithful. I have to be told not to commit adultery. The commandment is opposing some inclination which is in me. You see it? Love is a new inclination. Love by the Spirit is an inclination itself. This is where God works in us. What does Philippians 2 say? I, I said it this morning over in the other class as well. I love the verse. I love the tension of the verse. I love to swim around it and wrestle with it. It says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. This salvation that you have, let it be expressed. Let it be seen. Let it be lived in. Seriously, it does matter with fear and trembling, knowing that this is the only life that I have to live it in because it is God who works in you. God is working in you both to will, there's the new inclination. Romans chapter 7 sets up that struggle. There's a whole new struggle now. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. What's going on now? God has put a new willer within me. And there are things now that I will, that I want, that I would run well, that weren't there before. They weren't there before, and now they're there. And yeah, the old me, who I am naturally, wrestles against that. 
But as I listen to, live by, believe God concerning his promise to me in Christ and set my mind on Christ and and what he is for me and the acceptance that I have in Christ and the full embrace already before God because of Christ that nothing I do will enhance my standing before God, I am free to give this life away. I am free to give this life away. There's nothing more I have to earn, nothing more I have to prove. This life can end tomorrow. Today. Why wait? Oh, I want to be in his presence. Fully accepted there. And yet, this is the show he has given me. This is the opportunity. This is the stage that I can live out for his glory. The one that I truly love, that directs me, that compels me. There is a new inclination. Second Corinthians 5 puts it this way. The love of God, the love of God constrains me and compels me. We don't know how to quite translate that word. It's a word that means both to push us forward and to hem us in. It guards and guides our choices. The love of Christ, when I focus upon it, it constrains and compels me because he so loved me. Love inherently fills the righteousness of the law because that love expresses the very character of God. That's what the Spirit will do because that's who the Spirit is. We easily want to live on one side or the other. The higher road is along the top. It's not a somehow balancing those two, a little bit of law, a little bit of freedom. No. It is a higher ground. It is a higher road where the Spirit himself, I want to walk on the trail, where the Spirit is the wind at my back pushing me along. I want to hike on that trail where not only is the wind pushing me from behind, but that wind is, is, is pulling at me from in front, saying, come on, come on, pull along. As if that wind cannot wait to show me what's ahead. I've used the, the wind analogy in the ridge line because, you know, in John chapter 3, Jesus does a word play back and forth between the spirit and the wind because in the Greek language, the same word for spirit is also the word for wind. So I hope that analogy works for you that the Spirit himself will be a power pushing you along, enabling you to cover ground you could never cover on your own. And that Spirit will be almost as the wind pulling at you from the front, saying, come this way, come this way. I can't wait to show you the view. And the view will not be, look what you have done. The view will always be upward of Christ. And look what God has done for me. And the more clearly I see him, the more easily I can peel my eyes away from anything else. Father, this is our desire. Lord, that you by your spirit would fall fresh upon us. Lord, we might be a little uncomfortable to let go of a pattern of life that is set out by standards and expectations. But Lord, we do want to live more freely by your Spirit. Father, 
I would pray that you would give us a practice in that right now this morning. Lord, whether it be somebody right now you put in our mind to talk to, somebody right now even who's in this room to check in with and find out why you as the Spirit have, have sent us to them, some way even this very morning using the white card, maybe with the Gideon or with somebody else, Lord. There's a way, there's a reason. Maybe it is signing up with Ruth as she's organizing help for the apps. Lord, there is some way that you would put before us by your spirit right now. This is where I want you to give yourself away. Lord, as you do that right now, this morning, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the confidence in you to let go of what else we want? in order to follow you. That by following your Spirit's leading, giving something of ourselves away, there we will get a taste of what it is to walk and live on higher ground. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.